Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. The Radical Up podcast is produced in partnership with AmericanFirearms.org. American Firearms' mission is to recommend what works. We believe everyone deserves access to unbiased, helpful information about firearms. And our buying guides, product reviews, and learning resources are designed to help real people find the stuff that will work best for them. Check us out at www.americanfirearms.org. Welcome back, listeners, to Reticle Up Podcast. I'm here with my buddy Adam Reno. We're going over Steel Challenge. He, that's his uh, realm is, is Steel Challenge competitive shooting. Um, and we're going to talk about his journey into shooting because it's actually the first, I'll tell you this, uh, we talked offline about it. It's the first person I've talked to that was anti-gun before coming into the, the firearms kind of industry. So, hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Great. Awesome to have you on here for sure. Um, yeah, most people for sure that I talked to was like, oh, you know, firearms part of growing up or I was always like into firearms, excited. So walk me back. Was that like something you grew up feeling or, or what? Why was that? Um, I I was raised not around guns at all. I hadn't really fired anything. I, I went to my like, you know, my uncle's house and he kind of secretly like showed me the cool stuff. <laughs> but like I still was I was very anti-gun um, up until like my probably junior year of high school. Um, I ended up joining a, a small bore and rifle team, like a youth league for international air rifle and small bore, which is like Olympic style shooting. Mm-hmm. And I, I just joined that just because I was like, well, it looks cool. I had some friends in that that were already part of the team that I wanted to get closer with and spend time with outside of school. And I wanted something for, you know, college resumes. Like I didn't want to look like I hadn't done anything in high school. Yeah. I joined into that and I ended up falling in love with it. And so I shot, I took that very seriously. I shot uh, sporter which is like limited almost where the rifles are limited to a certain amount of money like you can't spend more than 500 on your equipment it's um, like a base model for like nrl or yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah it's it's production of of that but gotcha. pretty much nobody stays in production though um because yeah. people if, in that sport you eventually will outshoot a gun that will shoot 500 worth yeah um, and then you get into all the crazy stuff. Like I've got one of those canvas suits and everything that makes you walk around like C-3PO. I and have I, heard I, about how that can complicate later in life, like your back or, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they lose backs and you lose shoulders and you lose like feet. Why is um, that a thing? Why do people um, shoot this? Well, cause it's, <laughs> it's accessible. Um, yeah. and it's international. Like that's, I think you can make money doing that, uh, a lot easier than you could shoot and steal. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Okay. So and it's important in law schools, it's like that too. And it's it's a much wider sport because you have you have restrictions in other countries to shoot steel. So like a lot of other countries you can't shoot some automatic guns, stuff like that. Whereas with air rifle, it's accessible to almost every country, or at least you can get a pass for it without huge barriers. So it's internationally low barrier to entry. Cool. Okay. Okay. So not raised around firearms, got into the high school team. What was that like for, I mean, for someone that age to, how are you like so motivated to do well? Because most kids, I'll be honest, I was not like that focused at that age, I think, on succeeding in something. 
we had a very, very good coach and it was a, it was the atmosphere of the sport. Um, Precision rifle is, he described as a, a very like classy sport. Yeah. Everyone, it's almost like piano. Everyone wants to be really, really good at piano. Nobody wants to play piano and be mediocre at piano. So like when we got into it, it was, you were competing against your friends and stuff like that because it was all still individual, mm-hmm. but we also competed as teams. So like we'd have like groups of about three people on a team okay. and they were like, they're like subclasses of our, the X count, um, which was the, the name of the team. But then we would go and compete with team with each other. So you'd, you'd enter in like a three man bracket or like duos or something like that when you went to the state. And then, so you, you didn't want to be the, the bottom score for your other teammates too. And that pressed a lot of it. Right. Um, but it was since the score is the precision rifle takes a lot of, uh, it's like a very purist sport as far as like precision shooting goes, because you don't have wind, you don't have bullet drop. You have to worry about because your distance never changes. Mm-hmm. It's just all iron sights and you have as many mechanical uh assistances i guess like the shooting suits that help prevent injury but they also um they prevent you from having as much human error okay so it's entirely down to your mental game and shot calling and your muscle memory of getting in and out of positions um so it's it's very very quantitative you can't go and say oh my gun jammed that's why i didn't you you look at your scores and you say i didn't pass because i didn't shoot as well as this person and that's what it comes down to. Gotcha. Okay. What what were the cost of those firearms? Because I don't really know. Like, I I played the cheapo route. Okay. And it worked out okay. Um, a lot of the air rifles are in precision, which is the it's like open precision. A lot of people shoot guns that are around three to five k. It depends what you want to put into it. Yeah. And it's just for like air air rifles and smaller rifles. Um, mine actually I have here. It is very old. It was normally you have um, pre-compressed cylinders. So you, you get like a scuba tank and you fill it up by replacing the tank. Uh, this one is a piston operated gun, which they don't really even make anymore because they're not, they're kind of obsolete, but they, I mean, you can still make them work, but they run with a large piston and it's a single stroke. So it pre-compresses it and when you fire it, it discharges the air. Um, this one I bought from uh, a former U.S. Olympian, uh, Ray Ante's son. I met him at a CMP match. Um, I think it was in like 2014 ish. I was I was still a junior shooter, and I was I wanted to get in precision. I wanted my own rifle, and I could not afford that that kind of rifle. So I I think this one it went for like 1,200. He sold it to me for like 600. So, what? Yeah, I was. Score. I was so I had I had the weirdo gun and the only the disadvantage of them is like you when you're in like prone or kneeling positions in prone you have to like roll to the side and cock it normally you when you have pre-compressed cylinders you just have like a little switch like a little gate and you just flip it open you don't have to have to move at all so you try to just keep your position okay. I got really good at getting in and out of positions but everyone knew me as the po boy who is beating everybody else. <laughs> Now the optics for that game, like, are those similar to Steel Challenge, USPSA? Like, what does that look like? Well, they only allow peep sights. So, oh, like, okay. um, this these sights, they're like each line is a point, and a point could be the, the difference between like, uh, like the eye on one of the like a coin. Mm-hmm. It's that small, and this will do six clicks per line. Okay, so you're dialing essentially yeah. your shots. Okay. 
Right. They have to use like decimal scoring for a lot of stuff in that sport, especially at like Olympic level. Right. Um, a 10, a 10 is like the size of the bullet almost. Mm-hmm. And they stack them up and they've got like scanners and stuff to do it. But like the guy who's shooting nines is going to lose the world is going to lose the Olympics. Like how? Okay. Across like 60 shots. If you shoot one of those, you're going to drop enough points that you're out. It's neat. Okay. Sad, but neat. Um, the canisters on that too. Like I want to get an air gunning. I've watched like the air, uh, American air gunner. It's cool to watch. Like, what does that look like? It's really relaxing um, because I don't really have to worry about anything when I'm up there. It was described to me as when someone was trying to sell me on the sport initially, the buddy got me into it. He's like, well, I show up to the range and I take a nap and then I get my heart rate way down and I I wake up right before I go shoot and I shoot and have fun. And then I go back, take a nap. And then I wake up and I go for ice cream. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Like, (laughs) They're trying to like keep their their heart rate as low as possible. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. It was okay. a really good like team environment too. Um, yeah. We placed very well in our like our state matches. Um, we were against a couple like military academies and stuff. I think there was like six other schools in our area that we regularly competed with. Um, but we definitely were the most driven, I think, and that was partially because we had at the time it was a very small team. There was I think like seven of us in precision entirely. Wow. And so we did a couple of travel matches. That was, they travel a lot more now than when I was in because they were, it was a lot smaller. Yeah. Even just like funding wise. Yeah. But it was, you'd take, you know, you'd take trips to like Georgia or a uh, different place or like the CMP in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you know, you everyone would load in one van and we'd all be hanging out. It was, it'd be fun weekends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So you're getting into guns. You're really enjoying firearms. So walk me through kind of like anti-gun to like understanding firearms. And then what made you like feel like you could like them again or like firearms? I don't know how to explain that, but the process. Yeah. Um, So I initially got into it and I, even while I was on the team for a while, I was like still against them. Like while I was, I was like, yeah, these are cool. But like, you know, he needs, you know, (laughs) Um, but what I like to do was I, I, I was completely immersed in that atmosphere because I, I wanted to get really good. Like everyone else was trying to get really good mm-hmm. and I want to keep up. And when you have, you know, friends like that and you're completely surrounded by that environment, it's, you hear everything from the other side pretty much. And yeah. I hadn't exposed, I hadn't been exposed to that at all. Um, and I've, and I, I got, after I got into it more, I, I started researching the rifles more and I got more into guns in general. Cause I mean, like I hadn't played video games forever and like when I was a kid, but yeah. I I still was like I hadn't really looked at the real stuff at all and I I joined in a couple of like uh, Facebook groups and like online forums about them to try to learn more and I I heard all the other counter arguments and stuff like that and I was like yes yeah, this, this does make sense. Oh, okay. So you were open to it. You had never been around it. Yeah. But you were receptive to it. Hmm. Cuz like I I wanted to see all the other information and you couldn't see the other information without the the standard gun community posts. Sure. And <laughs> I will say it's like challenging to find the right people to talk to us sometimes, right? Like, oh, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're in an environment where it's a lot more friendly, like trustworthy, good people. So like, they're just casually having a conversation with you. Whereas that as if, if you'd gone elsewhere, I mean, not always the case, it might not have been that, right. It might've been like yeah. really aggressive and kind of rude. Um, huh. It's like, it's, you have to have your mind not completely made up all the time. I think yeah. just in general for a lot of topics, but like yeah. that one, especially and like the hot button topics, you can't, like if I went in there being for sure, oh, I'm not about this and I'm not going to listen because I think I'm right. It's like, 
It never would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Adam, that's really cool. I'm glad you're here. That's for sure. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so you're in like the high school realm of air gunning and all that. Now, Steel Challenge, I want to know where you got there. I will say this too. Steel Challenge is like the country club of shooting sports. So you just went from like a bougie to a really bougie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, I'll just say that. Um, So, yeah, what did that progression look like? So out of high school, you're like, how did you find Steel Challenge? So I, as soon as I got out of high school, I went into college. I, I studied mechanical engineering for a couple of years. And during that time, I really, really missed the competition. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was something that always, I'm not a, comp- okay, I am a competitive person, but it's <laughs> isolated to some things. Like I'm not competitive in like things that are don't really matter, but something I work hard in, I want to be competitive in if there's opportunity to. Yep. And I, I kind of thrive on that. So when I got into, I got, I got into college, uh, my time was a little bit lower. Um, I think I, I stayed in college for about, oh, it's my bad. No, you're good. Go there. So I got into, I got into college and then I, I was there for about a year or two or, um, where I didn't do anything shooting related at all. Um, but I, I actually just, I really missed the environment of it and I missed I just missed that environment. Yeah. I ended up coming back to coach the youth league team for a little while uh, as like an assistant coach. So like after school, I'd go in or like nights I didn't have class, I'd go drop by and I'd help like the the sporter kids a lot of times because there was still a pretty big gap. And like, while I did have um, a a decent amount of knowledge and precision, I could still, it was doing sporter was a breeze and those kids needed more attention on precision. So the header, the or more informed coaches went and helped them out. Um, but I did that for about a year and a half, two years. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm, uh, this isn't enough. I got to go back. Then. And so I ended up, I was like, all right, I want to do something totally different. I've done, I've done the precision shooting for all this time. Mm-hmm. And so now I want to try something like action sports. So I'd seen like multi-gun and stuff. And I was like, that looks, that looks super fun. <laughs> Yes. But the is. problem was at the time I was, I think I was 21 and I didn't have, I didn't have three gun money. I st- yeah. Not, nobody really has three gun no. money. Um, <laughs> so I went into steel cause I was like, oh, well it's 22. I could definitely do that. And I think I was making like $9 an hour or something like that at the time. Some, I was in a repair shop. Did you go through that? Um, not 22 shortage by the way. Yes, I did. Me too. Um, yep. well, right I, when I got into shooting, I was like, kill me now. <laughs> I felt the cost of it, but like, luckily, so my first year, I, I was, my first season was 2019. I competed for, I think, four and a half months. Uh, I was shooting all Thunderbolt. And so that was pretty okay. cheap. I got, it, my gun worked. It worked it. And I was like, all right, whatever. Hey, it works. Yeah. It, it does. It does what it's supposed to. And luckily with um, the X count, they have sources for ammunition they can buy by lot. So like when I, when ammo, ammo shortage hit in 2020, I could go to them and they could, they would order like pallets at a time because they were, they wanted all the same batch for the precision rifles. Yeah. And since I was already a member of the team, as far as like coach goes, and I was still on their lineup, I could buy ammunition from them and they helped me out with that a lot. So I had basically a source that other people didn't know about at the time that I could get as much CCI as I wanted. Oh, nice. And it was, it was pretty, it was a fair price. I think that year I shot like 50,000 rounds of CCI. Nice. That one, I that was when I I really kicked it into gear. That was right after uh, Area Five. Um, I went and shot that match, and I immediately went home, bought like two cases from them. 
and I started shooting about 500 rounds a week. Uh, or no, I shoot, I shot a thousand rounds a week, uh, 500 two days a week. Oh yeah. So I my Tuesdays, Thursdays, and then I go shoot matches. And I think I shot a match almost every weekend that year. For that kind of training too, um, was that something where you're literally just setting up the steel challenge stages at the range and shooting them? No. Nope. Uh, I've never shot a steel challenge stage outside of a match. Still? Uh, nope. Uh, well, I, I'd say maybe two or three occasions where I went to a match and they had it set up and I went and just ran it a couple times, but, uh, I didn't have the space or anywhere I could set up steel stages. So what I did was I bought, I bought two plates and there was like a 10 inch and a 12 inch and I would just set them up in different arrangements at like a 50 yard gravel pit. That was nearby us. There was like it was like a little tiny fishing game club, and they there was never anybody there. Was no range officer, so I could go shoot any distance, and I had it to myself pretty much. It was was excellent. Yeah. So I'd go there with uh, my car, and I'd throw those up, and I would just do random like little drills like that, where I went super far away to do pendulum, or I had I had extra sticks. I'd cut them down sometimes to do the drops. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, just like the transitions is everything in any sport that you shoot and then like even the depth too so like that's perfect yeah i did i do lots and lots and lots of dry fire though uh that was a year i bought i bought the go fast don't suck like dry fire targets Mm -hmm. and those have been monumental um i set those there's enough room in my basement i got really lucky that it all just happens to line up there's one configuration where i can fit all the stages So I was, I would go down and I'd dry fire those at the, I think in 2020, I was doing about an hour, hour and a half a night of that. Not like on trigger time, but just like, I was, I was down there for an hour and a half. We all know how dry fire really goes though. Like I I don't want to know my screen time, Mm -hmm. but uh, that's what I was doing for a while. And then after my first world speed, I kicked it up to about two and a half, three hours where I can. Okay. Um, I'd say it averages like two hours a night, even up so till now. Now, twenty-two dry fire actually pulling the trigger. What could you do for that? No. Yeah, um, exactly. What I do is like I have. Where'd my gun go? Because there are people listening that don't understand that you don't dry fire twenty-twos because it can damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I flag mine. Uh, if you flag Mark fours, you can pull the triggers on them, but the weight is still up in the front. Mm-hmm. If you have it with the bolt lock back the weight distribution is different and so i wanted to be as close as possible so i did this and then i've got a magazine that i put a bunch of fishing weights in that is not used anymore to weigh i think i waited for like eight rounds so that way it would be the average weight during the string if i'm firing five shots yeah um and then i just did a lot of shot calling cool okay okay so did you, were you self-taught for Steel Challenge? Like, I mean, I know that it's simple, but it's really complex as well with where you put your feet, how you swing the, the gun, all that. Like, did someone teach you? Did you watch videos? Um, I got a lot of inspiration from uh, Chloe Pavlock, uh, Chris Barrett, and Steve Foster. I watched a lot of their stuff online, um, but none of that, like, I, I hadn't shot a pistol until early 2019. Like, I just had never done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, that's why I got into pistol because I was like, oh, this is, it's part of the, the thing of, oh, it's just, it's new, it's action sports, it's more exciting, just everything's different. If I'm going to start from scratch, I might as well change everything. Yeah. And th- so the physical stuff of it was just mechanics. And like, I, I think that I had a head start on 
a lot of people getting into the sport um, just comparatively because I had that background of precision shooting and that style where it was all entirely based off of muscle memory and mechanics. So like I knew, I knew what it took from that to get um, better steel challenge very quickly mm-hmm. and make things as repeatable as possible because that's the focus of that entire sport pretty much. And then I, we have a really, really good coach in that team. Um, and he had, he had us pretty much set up all for mental prep because that's such a heavy mental game in that sport. So I think going into steel, I pretty much just had to pick up mechanics and everything else was more or less accelerated from there. Okay. Okay, let's talk mechanics. So thinking about newbies or people that haven't shot Steel Challenge, right? How, from the base up, what does your platform look like? Like your body, like all of that stuff. Like how I create my, my positions? Yeah. So mine's weird. I mm. I took from, from Chris Barrett, I took uh, the idea of like, I like how he gets his feet really wide and he squats down. I mean, he's he's very tall. Yeah. Um, but I realized that was because he wanted them to be all all the plates level, so that way you don't have to do any kind of up and down transitions. That way you can you can push it a little bit harder, and you won't have to worry about deviating as much up and down, um, because you just you don't have to learn it. Yeah. Like you, if you just learn side to side, you can focus on that, and you can be twice as good at side to side as you are up and down. But if you never have to use up and down, then you're just twice as good. Yep. I like that he did that and he has a really stable platform because he sits in so wide. And then I tend to, what I took from uh, air rifle shooting and small bore shooting was natural point of aim. I think a lot of people don't have an understanding of that in steel mm-hmm. or it's not commonly taught Yeah. of where you want your body to be at your natural point of rest is like a benchmark point. So your body knows where 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 you are at rest. So if I go and I get in the box and like I'm pointing at my target, I, I usually set my point of rest at the stop plate. That way, when I go up to the box and I'm shooting, I'm twisting my body to shoot other um, plates. Mm-hmm. It's the same amount of twist in my body every time. That way, it's if I'm focused on a different plate, it's going to be a different amount of torsion in my hips, stuff like that, mm-hmm. and my balance might be a little bit different. It's just trying to get every every possible little bit of muscle memory um, to be consistent. Yeah. I also run a, a gun that is not fun for a lot of people to run. Um, I wrap mine in, a lot of people run like skate tape and stuff. Mm-hmm. I I work construction by day and like I dry fire this so much that m- my hands are very calloused and that it's not rough enough. So I used um, stair tape <laughs> like they use on like steps and a lot of people don't like that at all um i would never borrow that i can yeah <laughs> i can i can dig in super super tight with it yeah um i think there's also a lot of like pre stuff that you have to do before you go up to to shoot the match or before you go up to the box um i try to keep the same amount of like energy level as far as like calories go so like i'll have i have a box of like a little carton of peanuts that i have on my range card yeah I'll I'll have a handful of those every single time I go up there to shoot about one shooter before I go up because it's that way I know that I have the same level of like hunger the entire match pretty much to be consistent that whole time I have some amount of energy from that because it's slow burning and it also kind of pairs it as like a conditioning response to I'm about to go up and I'm about to be really really nervous and I'm about to get a lot of adrenaline <laughs> so if I have this like I will it's 
it triggers a response to like just calm down this is normal we've we've done this 100 times you've eaten peanuts before every stage and it it's it just calms you down and it slows your heart rate a little bit but not so much that you're going to go and go slow yeah yeah so okay food nutrition mental and then wide stance low stance not fighting that height change um yeah. so okay and then talk about i know there's different stages so in general like i was trying to teach people how like the draw or even if it's low ready coming up on the first plate like what does that look like versus when you're going left to right or right to left and just trying to hit targets while the dot or the irons cross the target you know and then you hit the stop plate what oh, like, are the mechanics of that okay so there's there's a few different ways people like to do it um i know that there's there's people that are close to me in my area that like to do it with who are, are very accomplished <laughs> um, they they like to kind of float it where they're they're coming up on the target and they don't really come to a complete stop. Yep. They kind of just decelerate as they're there and they go off of timing. Um, I don't like to do that. I think you have to kind of teach yourself manually to do that. But I think that only really works well in steel challenge, which isn't a bad thing if that's if that's your headline sport. Like yeah. that's what you should be doing. Yep. But I think it's better to shoot entirely based off of just fundamentals for target by target. So like, well, some stages I might, I might do that on some plates. I do that because my brain is just kind of like, I've, I've done it so many times with looking at each target manually that it just kind of happens. That's the most efficient way my, your, my paths have learned to do it. Um, that's what I like to do is, that's point of aim for those large. And then you actually, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> What I like to do is like I, I shoot all target focused and I don't follow the dot at all. Mm -hmm. um, what I think most people want to do and like Kenny and Grant both have done this as well. And like there's there's people at the top who do it both ways. Um, I think you can be equally successful either way. Um, but that's just the way I picked it. And that's how I learned yeah. it. You got to be consistent with whatever you yeah, pick. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're not shooting, if you're not shooting comfortably, like you're definitely not shooting your best. I think shooting an inefficient way comfortably is better than shooting an efficient way uncomfortably because you're going to think about it and make mistakes. Yeah. But like what I, what I try to do is um, the way I approach a match is like, I want it to be as, I want to be as reliable as possible and just trust what I've done. Because I think that if, if you show up to a match, you, you'll be nervous. Like everybody, everybody gets nervous no matter how many you've done. Yep. And I mean, some people might not, but if I, if I didn't get nervous, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, they'll go up to it and you have to remember that like you have done the dry fire, you've already done this. You can trust yourself to be fast enough. And if you push it harder to try to compete based on who else is there, you're going to try to run their pace and you can't do it. Yep. Um, what I try to do is just, I, I want to see my sights every target. I want to go and just base it entirely off of, I'm not going to push for a certain time. I'm just going to go with it and whatever time happens, happens as long as it's clean. Cause I know that that's as fast as I can shoot it today. Yeah. As long as I've done my practice beforehand, like that's what is going to make me fast in a match. It's not me going, Oh, I'm going to shoot today fast. <laughs> that's not going to work. Yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, sports though. Like you have your match speed, you're trying to be consistent. I mean, you're not, you're not going all out just cause it's match. A lot of people don't shoot their hundred percent, right? It's like 80 to 90 ish. Um, yeah. And that wins. Yeah. I like you sh I don't think you I think a lot of my my best times are four clean. I think most people's are four clean. 
and I might get PBs like a burn down, but like my best, my best eight stage match I've ever had. I think I had one makeup shot on the clock and none of those were burn downs. I think I had one burn down where I had four clean and I went for a fast string and it, it worked out. I think I, I only had a possibility of two burn downs during that match and one of them didn't work. <laughs> and one of them did. So like the burn downs look really cool for Instagram, but yeah. like you're not if you're there to try to lay down a solid score consistently at every match you go to, it's just not gonna work. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so pickup shots, makeup shots. <laughs> I've RO'd Grant. I never want to RO Grant and try to call. Oh, he's insane. He's hard to watch. <laughs> he's hard. It's, like, it's it's very exciting, but like he his makeups are so fast that like it's that's just his shooting style though. I think that he he yeah. makes that happen. Well, and his his processing, it's the processing, it's the yeah. ability for your brain to even catch up with what you did. So for you, and I know a lot of them, like stages, like they're one, two, three, four, and then stop plate, or you just got two, two, and one, whatever it looks like. So how do you process, I guess, to try to shoot every plate before coming back to it? Or do you just keep coming back to it to shoot it? Like, what's the strategy there? Um, I mostly like listen for it a lot of times, and I'll, or I'll... I'll call it in my head, and if it's sketchy, I'll listen. Otherwise, I'll kind of tune the rest out. Um, if I have a shot where my my red dot is just on the edge of the plate, and I don't know for sure, I'll I'll listen, and I might go back or double check it real quick. But like the the way that I shoot is, I I look at the plate, and my gun's off off of center. So like think imagine like a line from the plate to my eye. Mm-hmm. When I'm bringing the gun up, as soon as the gun gets in line, like once the 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 sight itself is breaking that line of sight, you can pretty much just shoot. At a certain point, your your variance and transitions gets low enough where you don't really have to do that. And then you can you're not really processing faster. It's just you're processing more efficiently because you don't have to spend as much time on it per plate. Um, so when I make when I make a shot like that, I usually know it's a miss or not just in my head before I hear the impact because I can when I'm pulling the trigger, I know like it, it has to be just a complete automatic response. And that's why Grant is so fast at them. <laughs> he can process them so quick because he doesn't have to spend as much time like thinking about if, where his hits landed. Yeah. If you fire the shot and you're, you, you saw your sight and it wasn't exactly in line or it didn't feel like it was in line, you probably missed and it's, you probably got to come back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll yeah. usually... It depends which stage, but like five to go, I'll always go back to it immediately. Uh-huh. But like if it's something like um like roundabout or accelerator, I'll go back at the end. Because it's yep. tight and usually the bigger plates. So you can kind of just whip it and hopefully you hit it on the next whip yeah. shot. If you have more than two makeups, usually You're done. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's like, all right, well, that was my toss. So <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, okay, cool. So in your opinion, to all of that together, complexity, um, what's the hardest part about Seal Challenge? What makes it so hard and yet it's so simple? You you just got to see your sights. It's it's such a simple game. You just have to call your shots and nobody, nobody wants to do it. I don't want to do it. I love shooting fast. I don't want to wait. But that's what has to happen. And I think that's why a lot of people should shoot iron sight divisions in conjunction with optics divisions. I know a lot of people like to shoot both their irons together and both their optics together in separate like sessions. But I always like to shoot uh, PI before PO just because it 
it forces you to do it. If you're, if you're not seeing your sights, I think you're gambling. Yeah. You're, you spent so much time practicing and you spent a lot of money traveling to these matches, especially bigger ones that it's not worth gambling all that effort to put in for a 10th or 0.05 off a target when you can just spend that little extra bit and you guarantee it because if you drop it, you're going to lose like half a second, maybe. Yeah. And that's, that's huge for a lot of classifiers. Yeah. Now, and you, I know you change kind of divisions a little bit too. So how often are you, you shot carry optics, right? I did once. Yeah. One of them. Hey, that's still cool. But like the differences with that is huge. Of course, besides oh, yeah. low ready, but Okay, like if you're shooting a six-stage match with a gun that you have to draw from the holster, so whether it's limited, carry optics, open, doesn't matter, how does that overall time like of a six-stage match differ from that of a 22 rimfire pistol open, right? And that's going to be... I don't actually know. I've only shot out of holster one time, and it was at world speed. I had a waitlist entry, and I, I had my carry gun with me, and I shot like I shot a Glock 19 with like an RMR. And it and like a flashlight. It was not set up for carry optics at all. But I went and I went and did it. So I was like, "Well, I got the bullets. I've got the entry. I'm already here. Like, why not?" <laughs> for sure. Um, do you feel like you learned something though? I guess with shooting carry optics, that because it's so different from like the typical oh, yeah. challenge. Yeah. What was like your takeaway from that? I learned that I need to stop jerking the trigger. I need to shoot carry optics for <laughs> because <laughs> I I went into that and I was I've been shooting twenty two for I think I shot a thousand rounds uh, the day before for practice. I then I went and shot pistol optics and pistol rimfire pistol optics and irons that morning at World Speed. So that was another five hundred six hundred rounds. Mm-hmm. And then I went immediately after that one shot carry optics and like I was not into, I was like anticipating the recoil after the first stage. Mm-hmm. And so I started like Kentucky winaging it and like trying to shoot. My- <laughs> Sorry, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I was like, I, I, I should not be doing this here, but here we are. <laughs> and I think I shot more, I shot more through that gun because I had just recently put an RMR in it. I, that was the most ammo I shot through that RMR. It was all in that, just that one day. You sound as stupid as I am when I go to a bad <laughs> new gun. Yeah. I think I, I think I threw it on like a week ahead of time. Oh my god! I don't think I had. I, had, I think I zeroed it, and that was it. Yeah, I it a little bit. But it's interesting. I wasn't, there, like, I wasn't there to win carry optics. Yeah, I was gonna say it's interesting too. Like your twenty-two, right? It has that grip uh, tape and all down there for stairs. Like, but does your carry yeah. optic gun have that? Oh, absolutely not. I do not want to walk exactly. around. That That'd be exactly. terrible. <laughs> I was slipping for that one. Yeah, I mean that's where you need it on, not twenty-twos, in my opinion. But yes, like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If I if I had it set up just for racing, which I I may next year, I might build out like a thirty four or something fun. There but, you go. Um, I would I would totally wrap it then. Yeah. Okay. I don't need, I don't need to carry like rug burn everywhere I go. No, it's not it's not comfortable at all. Cool. Okay, so kind of got the the lay of the land there. Um, but I know we talked about it offline too. So if you want to share, what was that very first major match or second major match, whatever experience? Um, and how did that really get you like motivated and, and excited about staying in this sport? So my first really big match was uh, 2020 Area 5 Steel Championship. So I had been in, I've been competing at that time for roughly, I, I had about four and a half months of shooting matches and then winter came along up north and we put it all away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got back into it then. I think I was, I was shooting for like a month and a half before that event. And I signed up and there was, I was like, all right, I had heard about it like the last year in 19 when I started, 
but I think I've been shooting for like two weeks. I was like, I'm not doing that. No, yeah. So I signed up on an empty squad for, for roundabout. That's where I usually like to start at. And it, I looked like three days later and it filled up and it was a whole bunch. Everybody else in the squad was members of Steel Target Paint. Awesome. And so I I was freaking out because this is this is a level three like regional national match. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I was already nervous. And then I have people who have won world titles, world champions on the team, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a third wheel, I'm gonna third wheel really hard for this. <laughs> and I was kind of worried about that going into it actually. Yeah. Um, but I got to the match and I, I think I only shot pistol optics that day. Okay. Um but I, I drove down there, I went and shot, and I, I think it was like a three-hour drive for me. Uh, I went and met with them, and I was, I had butterflies in my stomach. I didn't say a word. I was, I used to be very, very introverted, actually, um, before I was really into, before I started traveling more for matches and talking with people. Yeah. But I, I showed up there, and Steve Foster walked up, shaking my hand, and he introduced himself and to everybody else in the group and asked me, you know, what divisions I was shooting and all this. And I felt totally welcomed. Like, I, I went into that expecting to be the odd man out because it was I was shooting with this whole team right. who all already knew each other. Yeah. Uh, but like I I was joking around then, and like I I thought I I thought I was real hot because I I had just made master, and I remember showing up and then I saw it fill up with all these GMs and I was like all right I'm kind of went in my little. <laughs> but <laughs> I started shooting some some decent stages for me. I started out really messy. I think I shot I think I shot like a a C or B class around on my first stage in front of me. <laughs> but um, I, I started shooting better and as they went on. I kind of nervous went away as much as they, they can at uh, level three. Yeah. But like they were, they spent the whole day joking around with me and stuff like that. And they were, I was included in all the jokes. I was getting tips and stuff like that. I was picking their brains for stuff. And it was a really, really, really positive experience because like these were guys that I had seen on social media for the whole time I had been getting introduced to it and trying to get good and I, these guys i had watched online and you know i've seen in magazines and all this crazy stuff and um to shoot with them in person it was i really looked up to these guys and i mean i, I still do yeah um, but like the way that i felt so accepted while i was there that made me feel amazing like my drive home from that i'll i'll never ever ever forget how good that made me feel um coming on that, that three hour drive home of like, uh, that was amazing. That was a great experience. Yeah. And I decided that I wanted to, I wanted to pursue shooting much more seriously mm -hmm. because I wanted to be as good as they were and get that kind of reputation that they had. Yeah. So if people saw me the same way I saw them. Yeah. That way, when I went to matches and stuff like that, if I traveled for anything or even just like going to different locals, like outside of my, or my normal clubs, yeah. if someone recognized me like that and I, I made it like that, I can give them that same experience that I had and hopefully that I can inspire them then to go and try to do the same thing. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, that's awesome. I think the sport needs more of that as far as people just don't know when people are going to enter the sport or whether it's sport spectating. Yeah. yeah. And so like they can be super turned off or they can be very turned on to, to what's going on, what's happening around them being very welcoming. And I do think that there is a, another thing that people do, sometimes poorly, maybe not all the time, but like teams, you know, these people, they're your teammates, like you're very ingrained, like you've got your inside jokes, right? And that can be very polarizing to someone who's like, yeah. I am so not part of the club. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
with with people in our sport, like it's just important to remember that there are new shooters or are people that feel very uncomfortable or intimidated or where we were when we got started because I was there too. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I love that you had a positive one because people that end up with negative ones, they don't come back. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, I'm still shooting with, there's a guy, uh, Jason Wilkinson. He's not on any social media or anything like that. Um, but I shot with him my first match I ever went to down at Atlanta Conservation Club. I went and I randomly squatted with him. And I've been shooting with those guys since then. I still, it, it's, it's almost like, I think of it like an old man's club where everyone goes down to like, uh, like cafes and stuff on like Tuesday mornings or whatever. It's yeah. like that where none of us ever communicate like outside of shooting or outside of matches or outside of you know, just in person. I, I text him now and again, but like pretty much when I see him is when I, I see him on the squad list. I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll go squad with Jason and I'll, I'll drop by him. And like, I've been shooting with him the entire time i shot with him this last weekend actually and like i there's a lot of relationships that i have made with people through shooting that like i would have never in a million years had like known as many people as i do now because oh yeah it's not sad also but it's sad how many people i see in the shooting sports over my own family like like the like the the bakers have always called it they, you have a you have a separate family you have your your real family and you have your shooting family and my, my my mom noticed that too so i started taking her to major matches um this last year she started traveling with me more mm-hmm. and like I, after like the third one she's she's like i just kind of realized all these people all know each other i was like yeah that's why we're here like yeah that's yeah we don't get very many new people which is um a hard part like how do you see the shooting sports growing unless you know a parent gets involved or gets their kid involved like how how else can we reach you know those people to come join i'm gonna sound very partial on this or but i think that there's almost nobody in their mid-20s at all in shooting mm-hmm. and i think that a lot of people that when the few people in mid-20s that i've seen get into it they take over major roles mm-hmm. but the problem is that it's it's such an expensive sport yeah. that like you know if you're if you're a junior you have your parents and they can help you along with that and I mean, you you can't get into it unless if as a junior unless you have a parent that's supportive yep. uh, that's willing to drive you to all this stuff yep buy all your equipment yep but as like a as like a 20 year old like there's there's like like me and jesse misco um the only people the only people in our mid-20s without who started in our mid-20s who go to like um all the majors at least in steel and are competing for like spots yep um uh, for like like um for like top 20 rank mm-hmm. um and i think that like like he's taken over um colfax sportsman clubs he does a whole bunch of organization there he's the match director for steel they do two or three matches a month there nice uh he's very involved nice very involved in rimfire challenge and he's he's a really really good guy for the sport um, but I think that it's, we're a demographic that is not, it's not easy to get into the sport because you are going through one of the, the most, the hardest financial points in your life. Yep. And then you're trying to take on a sport that is never going to, you're never going to profit from that's going to cut into that pretty deep. And it's also a time constraint for a lot of people. Um, so I think that like, it's just, I think a lot of people in their mid twenties will take over greater responsibilities. And I think that you could grow this work a lot bigger by recruiting more people in that age group. Yeah. I mean, I got then, in in that age group and it it's, it's single, no kids financials, right? <laughs> or it's like, yeah, exactly. you're not saving, 
not not preparing for retirement you don't have a social life but you're all right like there's gaps in that that because you're trying to figure it out you're in college you're getting your very first job that i mean that was me and for me it was me volunteering my time to go ro to be able to get that match (laughs) yeah yeah. Well, and you've done a ton in the shooting sports too. I mean, you've got your own podcast and things like that. You've you've managed some matches, and I've, I've seen you in a lot of articles lately. <laughs> Just a few, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, I have a master's in marketing, so my background took me into marketing. And then when I started shooting, I was like, okay, love passion for shooting, and here's my marketing degree. How do we put them together? <laughs> and like, yeah. it worked. So, but that's not the case for every twenty year old, for sure. I mean, that's like a. I knew what I wanted to do and I was going to chase it and go after it. So there is ways to do it, but yeah, yeah. it's difficult. Yeah. Okay. So growing the sport is trying to figure out maybe sponsors or some sort of entry and maybe for that mid range or lowering the barrier for cost or like borrowing gear, lending out gear. I think that's huge. Um, I know another club too, in like Texas, they, um, they know the ammo, like in our industry, obviously we like, we know people. So like they order in bulk and then they let people buy ammo at the same price. They pay for it just so they can shoot. Cause most of these new shooters, they, they buy 50 rounds a year, maybe. Right. Like they don't think I need thousands yeah. of rounds. <laughs> yeah. I told people I, sh- I shot 40 or 50 K that one year and people get saucer oh, yeah. eyes. Like, yeah, people don't believe me. I'm like, no, no, I can give you the number of where I'm at halfway yeah. this year right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cool. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's, there's really anything. I don't, I don't have a solution to the problem that that huge gap in people. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you look at like the top 20, a lot of like the juniors are they're getting into their early twenties now or former, former juniors, I guess we all are former juniors, but um, people that were at the top at, you know, 17, 18 are now getting into their early twenties. They're still sticking with it because they have the sponsors to keep going. Yeah. But I, I, it's just that you don't see many new people getting in and, yeah. I don't really know what to do about that because it's not like there's more money funneling into the sport to support that. And I, I don't really, I don't want to say like, oh, we should give them free ammo and stuff like that too. It's just, it's extremely difficult. But I think that, I think that people should be, and that group should be encouraged to join. Like if you, when I was, when I was like, I think in 2020, I, I was trying to get as many friends as I could because I was like, all right, well, I have ammunition. I have a source for ammo. I can sell you the ammo. Yep. You come out, you can borrow my gun, whatever, we'll we'll play with it. Yep. And I got a few people in doing that way, but yep. it's it's a really complicated problem, I think. Yeah. Yeah, not everyone can do it. Uh I tell people like your first match is on me, or if you can't get to a match and you want to shoot a match, like I'll just give you ammo and give you guns. And that's what I've been doing with some of my friends and their daughters is like here locally. Cause I, it is lonely too for me. It's like I want someone to shoot with. So I would rather yeah, exactly. give you ammo. <laughs> So I have a friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I, I I have been guilty of bribing people to yeah. come out or I'll be like, well, I'll be like, everything's on me for the first one. And then now you're hooked and you're addicted. So yeah. Bye. Yeah. you said yes. Is that my phone? <laughs> for sure. Now. Okay. So for still challenge, I mean, similar to um, USPSA, there's, there's area matches. You've got, of course, like your state matches and your local stuff, but there's also world speed shoot and there's rimfire world challenge. Um, can you explain like the difference between those organizations, those matches, what that looks like for you? Uh, for me, steel is definitely prioritized. Um, I like how steel is balanced a little bit more. I shot, so I'm, I'm very new to rimfire challenge. I, I shot my first rimfire challenge two weeks ago for Indiana state. Um, 
And I, I knew I was pretty much competing with Lance Brasher Jr. when I was there because he's local to us. And that's, that's the homie. But we um, we went in and like I was I had never seen like the uh, well, no one had ever seen the stages. They're all new. But yeah, the way that I was told they were set up was that rifle is set up for most of like precision stages. And I see the pistol is set up for speech feed stages where the plates are a lot bigger, a lot closer. Okay. okay. Um, I really, really enjoyed myself shooting rimfire challenge, but I'm a pistol shooter entirely, pretty much. I don't practice rifle at all anymore. <laughs> You're like burnt out. <laughs> well, I, I no, I, I love shooting rifle, but my I have my time constraints are I could be I could be really good at pistol and dedicate entirely to pistol and try to compete with the guys who have more time than me. Mm-hmm. Um, or I could do them both pretty good. Yeah, mediocre. That's where I'm at. Mediocre across the board. I'm like, <laughs> no, but well, I don't think it, it, it is fun. Like, yeah. like I go, I, the way I've approached rifle is like, I have low expectations. I don't have any expectations for it at all, actually, because I don't have anything into it. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I, I love shooting rifle. Yeah. But like when I go into like a pistol, when I go into shooting matches with pistol, I spent a lot of time and I spent a lot of money and like other things on, on, on improving that and I have expectations for it. I know what I want to do. Yeah. And if those, if those fall short, like outside of my control, like, I mean, I'm going to have fun regardless, but I don't want to think about that on my way. No, I want to think about, I shoot my pistols in the morning and then I shoot my rifle in the afternoon. So no matter how I did with either gun, it doesn't, doesn't even matter. My rifle, I know I'm going to have a fun time regardless of my score. And I'll be thinking about that on the way home instead of, wow, I had a jam on pistol and it bombed my score and I spent a lot of time. Like, I don't want to think about that. That's the last thing I want. Yeah. Yeah. Are you an AM or a PM shooter, by the way? What was that? You're an AM shooter is what it sounds like. You're shooting your favorite guns, the ones that you want to do well with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Keep going. But like, so I don't practice rifle at all anymore. And actually I got, I got interviewed at uh world speed from the outdoor channel. And I told them that I don't think they like that. <laughs> I was shooting rifle at the time and I was like, I'm, I don't want to say you shouldn't practice, but I'm having a great time not practicing. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did not, they did not include that in the episode. Oh, you watched it. Oh, that's funny. That's really funny actually. <laughs> but uh, so I believe that I believe that Rimfire Challenge is very heavily rifle focused or the stages are weighted more for rifle mm-hmm. where even though you have an equal amount of shots for each thing I think that when you when you're trying to catch somebody um as a competitor you want the stages that are slow and difficult because those are going to have the greatest skill gap and that's where you're going to catch up time like if I have a really good smoke and hope I'm only going to gain Point one. Point, maybe, yeah, that doesn't matter. Over, over my expectation. Like, it, it's a variance of, like, point two seconds on a clean run. Yeah. Now, like, outer limit, <laughs> half a second, or I could, uh, or even, like, a point seven five, which is massive. Yeah. Uh, and those are, like, the only places I'm going to pick up time. Or, like, that, there are pendulum. If someone doesn't pen- make up on pendulum, that's a, that's a point five, maybe point seven. Yeah. Um, depending on how, and if you grant or not, or Kenny. It's true. But uh, I, I looked at Rimfire Challenge and I was like, I, I had already gone into it looking at, so Lance is significantly better than me in rifle. Lance is an excellent rifle shooter. I'd say I'm pretty close to him as, for pistol. We we go back and forth, whatever day of the week it is. <laughs> um, but like, we have we have a very friendly competition there. But like, I knew going into that match, I was like, I'm going to take second to Lance because my pistol <laughs> is equal, but I, I cannot make up 10 seconds in rifle. And then I got there and they were all fast stages for pistol. And I've, I've been told that that's the way for other 
rimfire matches generally. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's he's got this in the bag. <laughs> so I, I don't mean to interrupt. I actually know nothing about rimfire challenge. So are you telling me that there's different stages for each rimfire challenge match? And like they're not like steel challenge where you know them going into it. And like, I, yeah. I don't are they still five uh, plates? Is there a stop plate? Like walk me through as if I had never been there because I haven't. <laughs> So as an expert who shot one match, <laughs> there we I, go. <laughs> I've got my understanding is that the stages are all uh, made up beforehand and they're not released. So like I know for worlds, people were mad because they they let out the the stage like they weren't exact, but people showed the layout on like the sheet. Oh, okay. And people were mad because they're like, well, now people can practice it at home if they're because it was it was like the first day of the event they released. Right, one. and there's people five days to shoot it. And so everyone that's traveling is like, well, now I now I can't practice this stage, like everyone else is going to or whatever. But <laughs> they're supposed to be they're fresh for every match. They're never reused. So that the match that I went to, they had two shoot. There was five stages for each gun, and they had uh, two boxes. So like the one box was like they were almost like diagonals. So you'd have like, here's your stage. You'd have one box here and one box way back, back here. Okay. So you'd shoot pistol up close. And mm. so every single pistol okay. stage was fast and okay. every single pistol stage was slow and precise. I don't think that's fair. Cause that's not telling you that that shooter's a well rounded shooter for either one. You know, I, I kind of, I kind of felt that way a little bit as well, but like, I don't know if that's how it is for every club. I mean, that's, that was the one match I sure. shot. My sample size is a hundred percent, but I asked about it and like, it was, it's still fun. Like I'll definitely yeah. go out and shoot yeah. those, but that's why that's not my main event. Is it still five mm -hmm. steel, steel plates or whatever and stop plate? Like they have, they have, I think it's five to seven and you only get 10 rounds. And you only get what? You only get 10 rounds. 10 rounds. And, and you, you can't reload. Okay. And then you have two boxes. You're shooting what? Two strings from each? Uh, shoot, it's they're like their own stages so like at the one we did where it was one box you'd shoot five strings for pistol gotcha. and then they'd rotate everyone through for pistol and then you go and do the rifle version of it okay. just so it, it only occupied one bay i think it i don't know how they do it at world speed i heard that was like kind of new um but i i asked about it and i was told that they they do typically make the rifle stages the harder stages um in rimfire challenge even at world speed Okay. Yeah. Not world, 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 world of Rimfire Challenge. Yeah. And there's stop yeah. plates. There's a stop plate. Yes. Still. Okay. Okay. Now I'm tracking. Okay. Got it. So I'm I'm still going to shoot that Nationals. I'm still, or I'm still going to shoot Rimfire Worlds just for fun. And I mean, everyone's going to be there. Why would I not? Why would I not well, go? and I was so bummed because it's the same weekend as PCC Production Nationals in uh, CMP at Talladega because it got moved to that date. And so meanwhile, World Rimfire is literally in my backyard every year and there's always a Nationals conflict on the same weekend. And I could shoot it. It's right there. <laughs> they also have U.S. Steel shoot uh, that same weekend. Oh, I heard about. I heard about. The, they were on like a three-year hiatus or something like that. I had never even heard of this match, right. and I hadn't been. I hadn't been in. And I was asking people about it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it was the formerly the Steel Nationals, but it wasn't like sanctioned. Like the USPSA went along with it, I guess. Mm. I don't know if they have price tables or whatever, but like everybody that's fast in all the rimfire divisions are all going to be at." Um, Rimfires. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I thought I'd go in anyway, just to I'll be like, well, maybe I can clean up. Maybe go win, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um That's frustrating though. Well, like you you don't want that. You do like the people that are gonna go are gonna be happy because they're like, Oh, I can have a chance at this, right? But then at the same time, like people yeah, are like nobody can go. And I think that the level system is important for matches, but I think it's who's there is what makes a major, I believe. Yeah. Like, 
like East Coast Steel Challenge. Uh, I think East Coast Steel Challenge, it, I think it's like third biggest in attendance. I, I think a lot of people consider it to be like one less than world speed, okay. even though it's only just a state match. It's I think it's Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, but I mean, it's it's got a fancy label and they got payouts. So <laughs> competition's there. Yeah. I mean, you could have like, even if you had um, just a random state with like one day, like an AM session, if you had five people from the top 20 show up for a couple different divisions, I'd consider that a major. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that the, it's just a label of who shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we skipped over that. Um, circling back to now with Area 5. So first big major impact of your life. What happened at this one? Um, I, I came back and I won, actually. I came full circle. So I ended up, I took 10th my first year I went. And then I came back, I took third, I think. And then this year I won high overall. That one was really crazy. That was my match where I only had one makeup. Cool. Um, what makeup that really counted good. or did that get dropped? Uh, it was on the clock. Okay, okay. So I had, and it kind of came full circle actually, because I, I won't, I won't name who it was, but there was a young man who was shooting with us um, that I was talking to throughout the weekend and his father that were there. And like, they were kind of following us around squads and they were shooting with us for, I think they shot with us on one of the sessions. They were there the whole time. I can't remember which one they shot in, but um, they were hanging out. And like, when I had that, when I did have that makeup, they were there watching the whole thing. And I had, my makeup was on string three and I had, um, it was like a makeup on stop or plate. I think it was real quick. Um, but when I came, it was still, a, I think I had a PB on that stage, even, even with the makeup. <laughs> That's awesome. So like, I was, I was not mad about it in the slightest. Oh. I wasn't that pressed, but it, it was like a, it was a 10 10 8 And I went in on the last string and I, I had a jam on the last shot. And I, I, I came in really hard. I was like, I, I, that one I knew I pushed it because I was like, I knew that was a PB. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And I had the shot lined up. I called it in my head on the stop plate and it just went click. And it was a failure to oh. eject. Oh. And I, I was like, I, I kind of, I was kind of like, and I walked off the line and I was still smiling about it. Cause like I still, it was still a good stage. And I was like, oh, I was like, that was typical. <laughs> and, um, that, uh, that young man, he came, he, his father came over to me and he, he, he asked me, he's like, he's like, Hey man, I'm, I really appreciate you setting like an example for that. Cause like, I know that, um, his son, like he wouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. And he knows a lot of people that wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool to kind of go back and do that. Set an example. Like it was meaningful to me at that event specifically because it was full circle of what I had experienced or the mirror of it or on the other side for, two years ago and yeah. that was what i wanted i wanted to be able to make people excited to be out there and i wanted to make sure like i want to be the guy when i go out there to make sure everyone else is having fun with how they're how they're shooting regardless of how <laughs> you and i are the same person yeah i got to shoot kentucky a couple of weeks ago this helped okay when i cut my finger open and i was like shooting rifle it oh helped. You, you lost the pocket knife yeah yeah i have it it's yeah zero to kenzie one two <laughs> i gotta get that out on facebook <laughs> thank you steve foster um <laughs> creekside custom shout out no but what was yeah. cool about that is i was angry at my myself because i wanted to go into that match and destroy like i was like i've shot really well i'm doing pretty good like i really want to win i do of course right but then i was like expectations kenzie like you have this weird fat finger and and i had to pull a rope 
which I forgot to do the inaccurate, like the wrong way. And I hurt myself by pulling yeah. the right way. <laughs> and then unloaded start was not fun either. So like there were challenges, but I remember like coming off so many stages where I just went full send and it wasn't a great hit factor. I had so many like little Charlie Deltas over there and I was floored. I was like, did you see the raw time though? And like, yeah. oh, <laughs> there. and then another long stage, I even paused because I, I did call my shots on that one. I was like, did I hit it? Did I hit it? Did I hit it? I know I missed it. I know I missed it. I know I missed it, but I didn't make up the shot. And I just kept going. And it was one of those like run and gun 50 yard stage. It was so long. But at the end of it, I was like, that was really fun. Cause I like shooting and moving and running and gunning. Um, but like you said, like just coming off and smiling, people are like, why is she happy? Like she sucked at that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, that was awesome. Well, like <laughs> the gun ran, like I'm happy. I'm outside. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's infectious too. Like when you're, we all have had people that throw tantrums. And yeah. Just, there's not, I'm not going to spot at them again. Like, uh, I've always, in rifle, we had this too, where like, we all, in rifle, you all shoot in one big line with one firing line with all targets downrange. Okay. And so I always really liked shooting next to left-handed shooters uh, in front of me because that way you're facing each other. <laughs> and so what we what we were told to do is like you you know you smile at your teammates or even whoever's next to you if they're a competitor too yeah if you have a bad shot you smile because then your teammate sees it and they're like oh well it's it's contagious and it's like oh my teammates having a good day i'm having a good day this is fun we're all here to have fun if it's a competitor they're gonna go oh my god he just shot an amazing string i gotta i gotta pick this and then they're in their head and they're in their head yeah, I think that's I'm not trying to get anyone in their head for shooting when I'm shooting steel. Yeah. But that's it's the same idea of like you kind of yeah. you throttle your excitement off of other people that you're with in your energy, and like that's why I, the last for my first two world speeds I shot with a kid um, uh, Nicholas Spinoff. Uh, I really like Nicholas. He he didn't make it to this last world speed, but. Uh, we we kind of you, you know you make you make a friend on the on a squad you know you're always high fiving them you're always fist bumping them no matter no matter what kind of run they had and oh. they'll stay in the game and you'll stay in the game too because you want to keep that up yeah yeah for sure I like all this this is good experience good life lessons for sure because I carry over carries over outside of shooting as well absolutely yeah yeah like I I used to be very introverted before I started taking this more seriously. I, when I'd show up, like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't ever approach anybody. I'd just kind of be shooting. I'd join in. I, I was kind of more responsive. I'm I've always been more responsive than initiative. Uh, but like I knew that if I if I wanted to be who I wanted to be, I would need to do that and you know be more personable and be personality. <laughs> and that's it's helped me out in in everyday life too like it's it's transferred over and i'm much more outgoing now than i was before yep and i'm more confident talking like to strangers and stuff like that and that was a really big deal to me yeah i adopt introverts like that's my hobby it's really really oh fun. yeah um and I like then, it as well <laughs> really fun and then if you go back and listen um i'll have a podcast up with with travis Tomasi, and he i was like you're an introvert that had to become an extrovert and he is an extrovert now there's no going back because yeah. in this industry when you're at that level and you want to like you said welcome new shooters or people or whatever you you're you have to become an extrovert there's no option yeah and especially like if there's people that like i i don't want to sound this way but like i i still see i i, I go home for matches this is not like my I'm not making a salary or nothing like that. I don't think anyone's really making anything, if anything at all. Yeah. Like I go home and I'm I'm an apprentice. 
for yeah. like construction. So like I go home and like I get to play whoever I want to, whoever I am on the weekend or how people want to see me on the weekend. But like I come home and I'm still just the dude who's a helper. Like, mm-hmm. and there's, the, I think a lot of people don't see that. They, they see like your social media and they see your scores and they're like, oh, well this, you might be the first person that, that, that impression might be the first one they have when they come see you and if you're someone who is just completely isolating or only talking to the people like that you consider to be your peers if you consider yourself to be a different status for whatever reason then that person's not going to approach people like that and they might not learn anything from their experience with you yeah and they might see that as like they don't want to continue to shoot with people of, of that nature. Yeah, I think all of us shooters need to to remember that we are just people. I mean, that's like Absolutely. for the most part, 90% of us are like, like, this is what I do for fun. I'm just human. Like we're all human. We all have the same yeah. same stuff going on in life, you know, family, friends, loss, love, whatever, whatever's going on. So like, yeah, I remind people, I'm like, yeah, my social media is this. That's why I hate and love social media. But I was like, but I am just a redneck from lower Alabama. <laughs> enjoying shooting guns but i put in the work i mean that's that's for sure but I'm like you can do it anybody can do it if i can do it anybody can do it <laughs> but you're right you're right you have to remember uh to step down from your pedestal sometimes yeah that's and cool. i think it's it's a hard balance to like and i have through through precision rifle shooting i i have met a lot of i've talked to a lot of like um a couple of olympians and stuff like that and like people that are way up in their version of their side of the score, their their classic score. Um, But they, I've, I've I've discussed with a lot of topics like that with them that I don't feel comfortable discussing with people that are in my own sport just because of how they might appear. But like a lot of people, I think that to perform at your highest level, like you have to, you have to have no doubts about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I think the people that get really good, um, it's common to feel like you're a different status almost, but I think people need to, you. I think every match when you show up, if you're showing up there to win the match, you have to show up knowing who you are and what you've done. And in the sense of what you've accomplished previously and what work you've put in to be there, to be confident in your shooting and make confident shots. Yeah. But like, if you make that your personality, I think you're not going to last. Yeah. Yeah. That's because people, people will put up with it because people don't like it. Yeah. And also, like, you won't get any help from the people and you won't have anyone to celebrate with when you're done if you yeah. do win. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adam, I appreciate all these insights and these learnings. Is there anything that, like, we haven't talked about or that I missed or that you want to share? Um, I'm going to plug. I do have a, a free shooting guide. So I actually, I wrote down, it was like a, it's like a 12-page document. I occasionally update it. It's very. I, I speak in a very mechanical sense, but it's it's a very dense guide of like I consider to be advanced mechanics. So it, it goes into stuff like mental prep that I've used and different techniques that I've used to practice to get where I am now and things I've experimented with that worked or didn't work that I've stuck with. Uh, that is available on my Facebook. It's in a pinned post on like a Google Docs. You can open it up and save it, print it out, whatever. Cool. Um, a lot of people have found that to be very useful and it's due for an update pretty soon anyway so i probably need to go read that <laughs> so i will go check it out for sure um speaking of that too uh we'll go back to sponsors in a second i want to talk about them but what is your social media for people to be able to go find you and find that document 
my Instagram is Adam Reno Shooting. That's R E N N O. No one can say it right. right. I don't mind if you mess it up. <laughs> but um, then you can also find me on my, my Facebook. I just have a personal page that I've posted everything to against cool. families. Wishes, I bet. Um, but you can find everything on there. Uh, just Adam Reno. Um, and I post some match videos and stuff to YouTube, but that's not as populated. I usually I'll throw like nine minute videos of like full full matches on there. Yeah. Like, I don't watch them because I, I know that that's would have been a resource that I would have liked to have watching other people while I was trying to improve my own skill. Oh, for sure. Both for first person and third person videos are really helpful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the sponsors in the sport. I know we both share several of them and, you know, whether you're in USPSA, still challenge three gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I see the logo. So yeah, if you want to talk about the companies that you work for and not just or work with, but not just that, but like the sponsors in general, what they do for the sport, why, why we should be supporting them and how important they are uh, and thank them. Uh, so my major sponsors are uh, ZX Gun. They they were my first really big sponsor that really supplied um, like help or assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, they supply a lot of ammunition. I I think that the best way to get sponsorships is to have uh, you have to be the person that they want to sponsor, not necessarily the person that wins the matches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew a lot of everyone that I've that I shoot with is it's like on my jersey they're all people that I would like to work with and use their products independently of if I wore a logo or not. Yeah. There's stuff. I, I got behind their stuff and the stuff that I was already using. And I went and messaged them and been like, Hey, I like your stuff. Do you want to get in a, a relationship for this kind of thing? Yeah. So like, like ZX, I was, I was with them for, uh, I started my sponsorship with them in 2020. I've been shopping there since I was like 2017 ish. <laughs> and I knew all the guys in the shop and I was like, Hey, I'm doing this. Do you guys want to, you guys want to join? <laughs> And that's kind of how it went. It was pretty casual. I just kind of drop in and drop out. Um, but like uh, the sponsors for the the matches are huge. I know that a lot of a lot of majors and a lot of people talk about this at World Speed is like they were in the negative. It's like, well, they put those events on the sponsors put those events on not with the intention of making money. It's the intention of making the sport bigger. So people see it and they take it more. People don't take it more seriously. And it gives people more opportunities to do that. Have good experiences going to these major matches and seeing all their friends that are, you know, are, everyone knows each other. Yeah. And I think that that would not happen without all the people that, you know, are, are willing to pay that deficit. Mm-hmm. And like USPSA absorbs a decent amount of that, but like sponsors, I don't think the return on investment for sponsors for a lot of matches is really there. Like, like Hunter's HD, everybody, everybody knows Hunter's HD and they, they know how much they get back and they know that it's possible to do this at the, and have those kind of big like fancy events yeah and there's no way uspsa or local clubs could do that without their support i think they they gave uh brian was saying that they gave away it was like two hundred fifty thousand dollars this year just so far into so this far. year yeah a quarter of a million dollars yeah. I made that graphic and yeah like, that's that's Whoa. massive i think all of it was i thought it was like fifty thousand dollars for world speed last year it was like sixty thousand yeah. It was it was somewhere in that range, and that's that's a lot. Dumb. And the, they're one sponsor, like mm-hmm. they're like Will Courtson puts a lot of stuff. Tandem Cross puts out a lot of stuff. Um, Still, Target Mass Paint Cross, I think doesn't get a lot of credit because their supplies and like people forget oh, yeah. that consumables are so expensive. Like Targets and pasters yeah. and and paint is huge. So like when I and when I see 
oh my god a match without the target paint like i lose my mind oh, yeah <laughs> i get so angry and i'm like this is garbage it's leaking it still looks gray like this is not okay <laughs> well, and you need that at the higher end events too um it's applied it's i mean that's been standardized yeah yeah a lot of people i i have so many people that like they'll i've brought people to steel challenge matches and like you have special paint for just painting the steel it's, it does it does make a difference like shooting rim fire it's it's huge yeah i i like yep if you're trying to you know set world record times like you have to be able to see it the fastest you want to take out as many variables as you can so you oh, use yeah. the big stuff game changer yeah who else did we miss anybody i know you're talking about a couple um the x count has given me a lot of well, that's the that's the original rifle team that i was part of yeah um i was i was running their logo on stuff before i had received anything from them really because i they're just a company that as a business model i guess and a uh program i think it's really really positive for shooting sports because it's it's extremely accessible for anybody yeah. like the, we had uh we had paraplegic shooters this year who were shooting air rifle i I've seen blind people shoot air rifle. Um, they have they have a, a a a product for it where it's a little laser that tracks your target, and so it'll it'll live update on like a little screen mm -hmm. or a computer system, and it will audio it'll make different tones of beeps depending oh. on how far away you are from the target, dead center. So you you oh. play it by the beep and you pull your trigger. Super cool, yeah. And then you you have a, someone else that's a spotter. It's like, oh, you shot this far out or whatever. Once you fired a shot, and I'll tell you what it is, or it'll read out to whatever the score is. Super neat, awesome. Well, Adam, is there any other final thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything else that you want to leave people with? Uh, call your shots. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. More just just see the sights. It's that easy. It's so easy. Just. <laughs> And one for one. One for one is yeah, always faster. Rip it tight, one for one. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. And I know I don't shoot still challenge enough, but I love seeing your videos and pictures. And I see a lot of your posts because I share them with hunters. But uh, I hope to see you on a range very soon, for sure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, listeners, stay tuned to the next episode of the Reddick Lot podcast coming next week. Thanks for listening to the Reddick Lot podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Redicle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.